It's about the tools we use. It's about the stories we tell. It's about how we change. It's evolution, baby. All right. And excited to be back on another episode with um, another special guest. And this is my great friend, Jeffrey Jessam, who I've known, goodness, I think over, I think a decade now. Yeah. And uh, Jeff was one of the, probably the first integral cat I really kind of got to know out here in Los Angeles after leaving the little boulder fiefdom. And Jeff and I have been in a men's group for six years now, seven years now, I'm not even sure, and gotten to know each other quite a bit. And he's one of the most interesting thinkers I know and very multidisciplinary and um, does some really cool stuff. So I just want to give you a moment, Jeff, to introduce yourself a little bit. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's uh, great being here and chatting with you. Always love our conversations and uh, especially around you know, things going on in the world right now, there's just so much to contemplate and talk about. So it's really nice being here today. And yeah, I'm a, um, my main day job is I'm a clinical psychologist. I work with a wide range population. I work with kids, families, and a lot with adults and couples. And one of my, I, you know, working with lots of different issues with people, but I would say one of my central interests is social emotional intelligence and how mm. to help people cultivate better relationships in all aspects of their life. I, I think of it as first, second, and third person relationships, relationships with yourself, with other people in the world around you. So I would say that's one of my big passions and a lot of my work, kind of the the central organizing principle of a lot of my work as a psychologist. And then I'm also, I write some books and I write uh, and I play music and make art as well. So um, that's kind of me. Yeah. Yeah. Such awesome stuff. And yeah, I'm curious actually to start things off, you know, as someone who does focus on, on, on helping people create healthy relationships, um, you know, the thing we're all talking about in this moment, obviously is COVID and the total disruption it's brought to our lives. And I, I'm curious, you know, um, are you continuing to see patients? Like for you firsthand, has this impacted um, what's happening for you professionally and, and the types of issues people are dealing with? Yeah, for sure. So, you know, just to start, I'm, you know, I feel, I feel grateful that I've been able to fairly easily transition to virtual mediums with pretty much all my clients. And um, it's been surprising how well it has worked, you know, in psychotherapy, the traditional model is face to face. And the truth is, there's a lot more that you get from that when you're embodied in a room with somebody. But um, I would say it's been pretty easy to do that. And especially with clients I've had an ongoing relationship with, definitely the issues that are coming up are, um, you know, there's, there's different issues that are coming up based on the circumstances going on in the world. And um, also just a lot of things that have been maybe smoldering more, like a lot of historical trauma, um, different, yeah. different, you know, anxieties, different things that have been there kind of on back burner a little bit. 
are intensified now for a lot of us, I would say for, you know, most people in some ways. So it's been kind of a double-edged sword with that working with people, because on the one hand, it creates more disruption, dysregulation in their life um, in the midst of a lot of other things they have to navigate. But at the same time, for many clients, it's really offered them a helpful catalyst to be able to go deeper into some of the things that have still been impacting their lives, but have not um, they haven't had as much resource or um, focus on them to really work through them as much. I I love that, and I you know I was thinking about um, we were sharing some ideas about what to talk about in this session together, and it struck me of what a cool unique opportunity to talk about how that happens, um, that disruption, that pause, that smoldering on an individual level. And I think also kind of at the the more systemic and cultural level we're, we're seeing right now mm-hmm. in that um, totally, right? Like the everything stops <laughs> and suddenly there's, there's kind of this space where it feels like anything that wasn't working just got the volume turned up to like 11, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know, in our, in personal yeah. lives, you know, one of the first things um, that really struck me when I was starting to follow COVID um, a couple months ago was, you know, as an integral guy and always being fascinated about how these systems interrelate was, yeah, they, they had the massive lockdown in China. And then as they began to lift it, the first thing that happened was uh, the divorce rate uh, request for divorce divorces in China skyrocketed. Uh, um, yeah. And it was, it was like, Oh, well kind of makes sense. Right. If you're, if you're a couple that's had some issues but there's, you know, a little bit of space, maybe one person goes away for work or something like that. You know, you can kind of keep the, the, the boat running a little longer than it should without, uh, without it sinking. But then the intensity of suddenly you're in someone's space 24 seven, there's nowhere to go. There's nothing to do. You know, all that, um, undealt with stuff suddenly comes to the surface and it sounds like, you know, I've certainly been having that happen personally. It sounds like some of your clients, many people I know have had that happening kind of at this personal level, this like um, real bringing to to bear everything that's not quite in alignment. Have mm-hmm. you Have you noticed that as well? Oh, for sure. For sure. And one of the things, again, a double-edged sword, because I think there's something, something positive to that, something that can be offered when we're... We're, the things we use to distract from difficulties within ourselves are stripped away. And we have to sit with ourselves, right? You know, And I think for so many of us, this situation um, has pushed, pushed us to have to really sit with ourselves more. When you're in that state, that can be a wonderful experience if you're resourced. If you have you know, resources to help you navigate, metabolize whatever is coming up for you, um, you know, proper kind of mindset and circumstances around you to help with that. What's hard is when you don't have that. You know, I, I, I have couples that I work with and for many of them, there is a lot that's coming up for them right now. And things that they have kind of, they've been able to push to the side because of the busyness of their lives, but now they're coming to the forefront and a lot of those are relational issues. And for some of them, it's been great, you know, when they have the resources and hopefully like some support, you know, with that, it's been an opportunity to really go deeper and work through things. But for some people, it's just so overwhelming. And I think for a lot of the people um, in China, you know, a lot of people everywhere, there is not 
the resources often that they need to help them get through those things. Our culture, really, in a lot of ways, with all the wonderful things in this culture, there is really a, a um, implicit and often explicit message that when things are uncomfortable, we turn more to the exterior. You know, if there's something mm-hmm. uncomfortable inside, look outside, go out there, you know, um, engage in the world. Those are all good things. It's good to engage with the world. But if something's uncomfortable, go outside to cope with it. And there's really been, I think, in many ways, a lack of balance. You know, we've got out of balance where we we use the exterior pursuits and expansions, not just to celebrate this beautiful world and life, but often as a distraction as well. So I think that's one of the things that's coming up with a lot of people. And you see that with the increased divorce rates, increased substance abuse, you know, increased depression, things like that. That makes a a lot of sense to me in that, um, you know, I can also imagine that if you're not in a relationship, right, one of the, one of the biggest ways we generally resource ourselves is through connection, is through people, Mm -hmm. is through FaceTime. And that's been removed for, you know, a large majority of us. Um, I know that even with the tensions of, you know, being with someone 24 seven, I'm, I'm personally super grateful. I have someone to be quarantined with, um, just for the actual, you know, vagal tone (laughs) FaceTime every day of uh, interacting with another, another human. And I, 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 you know, I think about like, wow, 10 years ago, if I was living alone or something, this would be super challenging. And uh, I do really like what you're bringing up too around this, this idea of, of being resourced. And I think that's such a important, um, distinguishing factor in, you know, in so many things that goes on, that go on in the, the kind of personal growth and spiritual traditions of, you know, what I would call the kind of more law of attraction or secret type thing in that, um, we have a lot of choice about where to put our attention and how to handle things and see things as an opportunity and not a crisis. Mm-hmm. But that does take a certain level of being resourced, right? Of literally not being in a fight or flight stress state in our nervous systems totally. that um, I think oftentimes gets overlooked, right? That, yeah, you know, you can pick yourself up by the bootstraps and, you know, get things done. But if you're totally under resourced, that's really, really hard versus, wow, yeah, I have my tools. I have my net mechanisms. I, I have some income coming in. So, wow, yeah, what an amazing opportunity to um, introspect during this time of great pausing. But for a lot of people, they don't have that basic resourcefulness. And um, I think that's where we're seeing some of the much deeper distress starting to emerge in our culture. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And, and, you know, it's, that's, it's such a good point, Jason, because those things, you know, that could really serve and you can, you can find the silver linings in, which is really true, you know, can also really just push people to decompensate more when they don't have those resources like that. Exactly. Um, You know, and so again, I'm like grateful. I'm a practitioner. I know I have resources. I have virtual connections. I have virtual men's groups and I've been using them all in, in yeah, this, um, yeah. in this time. But when I think about, wow, to not have, to not have anything like that, this has got to just be totally, uh, crazy and, and extremely hard on our nervous systems. And 
there's nowhere to go. (laughs) Right. So if you're not used to going inside, you know, certainly when I first started getting into inner work and the many different journeys and practices I've been on is that can be extremely confronting if you've never done it or don't have the skills and aren't being guided for it, that, that not being able to just, you know, distract yourself by shifting your external, but actually having to sit with something and go in and feel what's going on underneath, which, um, it's part of why I imagine people like you are quite busy right now. (laughs) Yeah. 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 And, uh, for sure. And, um, I would say I'm pretty, I, I feel, I feel grateful for that too, to be able to kind of be a part of the solution. You know, I think for a lot of people, one of the things that can be very overwhelming for them right now is feeling kind of powerless and hopeless to really participate in what's happening in the world We're we're home, we're isolated in a lot of ways. And while there are ways, you know, I'm really grateful for, con- you know, modern technology that we have so many more opportunities to connect virtually even though it's still not the same as face to face opportunities but for but even given that so many of us are sitting at home and really feeling kind of powerless over having impact in the world like that you know so um but yeah just going back to one of the things you said a minute ago about people not being resourced and where you can have something that could be transformative but if you're not resourced enough it's it has the opposite impact on people. And I think there is a tendency for all of us when we don't have more sophisticated defenses, you know, mm. like meaning out of things like, um, you know, being able to make a subjective experience an objective experience, something you and I have talked about, like making an object of a subject when they don't have or the ability to sublimate or use more ventral vagal like co-regulation with people. What we do is we go to primitive defenses of like, yeah. of, you know, yeah, like denial or projection. And that you can see that a lot in the world right now or checking out and just Netflixing all day using this time of, of pause, not to be contemplative or to cultivate the inner garden really, but to just kind of zone out. And I don't, I don't think people do that, you know, with bad intent. I don't think it's inherently laziness or things like that. I think for so many of us, we just, when we don't have the resources to utilize the challenges to create transformation, we go to more primitive defenses like that. I, that makes so much sense to me and both on an individual level and a you know, a cultural level, which, Mm -hmm. which I think we definitely see playing out right now. And in so many ways, you know, concerning and to me at least about what, what we see being enacted. Um, but you know, one of the things I'm curious about, um, and that does worry me kind of from the more under-resourced state is I'm like, wow, you know, I'm a pretty, lucky guy. I have a lot going for me. I've done a lot of work. I have a lot of these tools and, you know, I can feel the stress accumulating in my nervous system of, you know, life having gotten kind of smaller in some extent Mm -hmm. and not being able to move. And, you know, and it strikes me as, you know, certainly one of the, uh, at least in my experience, kind of powerful causes sometimes of trauma is like literally being trapped and not being able to move. Right. And like Mm -hmm. actually feeling stuck and not having power. And, uh, you know, I I do have a little fear about like, man, what, 
what's getting encoded into our nervous systems right now and you know how much work are we going to have to do on the other side of this in the in the coming weeks and months and years uh you know which is part of part of where i'm like when people are like just it's done we're done we're we're opening back up it's all good i'm like oh my god no this is like the 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 tail of this thing feels like it's probably going to be chasing us for years. For sure. For sure. You know, um, it's often said once you see, you can't unsee. And I think there's, you know, one of the things that this has done, and again, I'm just going to say for better or worse, because I'm a little bit of a paternal optimist. <laughs> I call it like yeah. a realist, realist optimist, you know, that one of the things uh, I think that's, come up for so many of us, for me, you know, I'll just say is that we've really in the United States, you know, in my lifetime, I've been really fortunate. I think most of us have, my kids have, and that we haven't really had to deal deal with this level of uncertainty and kind of threat to basic hierarchy of needs, you know, Mm -hmm. survival, like physical survival, um, financial survival, and basic kind of relational belonging connections, you know, and that, so this has evoked a possibility of how things can be for so many of us that have been sheltered from a lot of that. You know, we haven't really, we haven't had that experience. I know it's so true for my kids. And on the one hand, it makes me feel grateful for having a foundation that has not had to deal with that type of trauma. And you know, I talk to people, you know, uh, people from other places in the world who they're like, oh, my God, this is so familiar to me on one level, you know, because they've had situations in other places in the world where there have been this this type of uncertainty and sense of threat. But we haven't really had to deal with that. So I do think there is that element of once you see, you can't unsee and that we're going to have to, as a culture, find ways to metabolize and deal with the real trauma, you know, trauma of these circumstances, helping us as a collective to metabolize them so they don't become PTSD. You know, the difference between, right? Yeah. The difference between basic trauma and PTSD is how we work with that once the trauma comes up in the body, in the psyche, you know, all those kind of things. So I'm hoping we do that and something good can come from that. Yeah. And that, I mean, it, just hearing you speak about it like that, it, it feels like probably one of the most important things we could be proactive about is, is getting ahead of this and, and, and you know, helping to facilitate and, and start working with some of this energy now before it does get um, more severe into that realm of PTSD where there's, you know, some real, I mean, no matter what, this is going to be encoded in us to some extent, but, but it does feel like, yeah. And then there's a lot we could work, work with it around. And I, I haven't really seen that being talked about in, in mainstream culture, certainly at all. Um, and that's pretty concerning to me. Yeah. 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 And, and, you know, one of the, one of the things that's difficult in times of acute, you know, when you're in a crisis, it's hard to, really step back as a collective and think about those things. And this is the time we really do need to be doing that more. And I think there, I I think there are ways like, you know, I love the work that you're doing, Jason, you know, like the, I think men have their own set of challenges often in terms of how to face vulnerably the things that get evoked and metabolize them. And a lot of your men's work is doing that kind of 
that kind of work with people. And I resonate a lot with that because I think a lot of what feels impactful to me to be offering to help contribute to a solution is helping people cultivate tools, cultivate the resources within themselves so they can skillfully metabolize things now. And I think there are things, yeah. you know, I think for now, you know, a lot of, a lot of what I've been doing with people has been helping them to be resourced now, like we were talking about a little while ago, is resources they can be to metabolize now so it doesn't become stagnant emotional currents within them that can lead to PTSD down the road. Mm, yeah, that makes a, a ton of sense to me before it kind of builds up in the nervous system too much. So it's good maintenance, <laughs> you know, to use the kind of masculine analogy of, uh, you know, keeping, keeping things clear and working before it builds up too much and then has a, has a bigger breakdown. Um, I also really, I, I keep thinking about that, you know, you, you can't unsee once you've seen, and it does strike me as, you know, this is kind of a, um, red pill moment and mm. to some extent for our globe. Right. Yeah. Of, I think, you know, partly part of certainly how I've experienced it. And I'm imagining many people in the world have experienced it is like, life just comes at us with a barrage of stuff. And the older we get, the more that's incoming, right? Kids, family, jobs, careers, things that have to be done. It's just like the next thing after the next thing after the next thing. Um, and we kind of get on this roller coaster of life. And what really strikes me about this moment is because of the forced pause, it's one of the first times certainly, um, in the last decades, other than, you know, maybe in a briefer way, 9-11, just in that initial couple day pause that our culture took. But this is so much more substantial of like, oh, is this even the system we want to be part of? Mm. You, know, you know, there's there's like things just kind of started building up over the last decades that I think part of the inquiry I've certainly been interested in is, you know, there's this like, let's get back to normal energy. Mm. And I'm like, well, the, the amazing opportunity here is like, do we really, was that the best system we think we could create? Was that creating, um, you know, more abundance for more people on an ongoing basis? I think it's kind of arguable that no. So, you know, if we are to go back to something, uh, instead of, well, instead of going back, why don't we create something new, you know, and what would that look like? What do we need right now? What's different about, um, the culture we're living in now than, you know, the 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago that most of these systems really kind of got implemented. For sure. For sure. I love that. I, I really resonate that with that a lot. And, you know, the feeling into what can we do? You know, here, here's a moment in time where the train has stopped. You know, the train has been going so fast that all that surrounds us and holds us in our day-to-day -day life has just been going by like a blur. There's not really time. Mm -hmm. you know, think about it. We're so, you know, we're so busy as a culture that there isn't a whole lot of time to sit and reflect on what just happened, on what's happening right now in this moment. And we have that opportunity right now. And it's really brought up a lot for me too around What's working in this world? What are the really positive things about our culture? And what are the things that are just broken and that, mm -hmm. that do not work? And that we're in this pause, we can finally have a moment and some space to look at. I also think not only do we have space now to look at those things, but 
the circumstances that have arisen around this, I think have really brought into focus what is not working or some of the things that are not working mm-hmm. in our contemporary culture. Yeah, it really, um, what's really landed for me around that is this idea of like fragile and anti-fragile systems mm-hmm. and this idea that, um, you know, this particular global economy we've set up, probably more so here in the US than anywhere else, is extremely fragile. Like when you only have a couple major supply chains coming in from a country and that country shuts down for two months, that can crash your entire economy, right? Yeah. There, there, there's there's not much anti-fragility in a lot of our systems that I think we're starting, we're really just beginning to start to see uh, the impact of, you know, now that's what kind of blows me away where it feels like the narrative in our culture, you know, about a week or two ago was like, oh, this thing's done. We're like, we're done, yeah. right? Like we're, we're kind of going to open back up and people are going to just start living. And I, I just, I can't imagine that's true when oil prices have crashed. There's like, I was reading some article about how they're, um, they're expecting something like 70,000 less immigrants from Eastern Europe to come into Western Europe that normally pick the food, mm. like actually pick mm. the crops. Yeah. And obviously they don't want to move because it puts them at risk and, and in danger. So they don't know who's going to be able to pick all that food because the people living in the countries don't want to work for that little money. Um, and it just, you know, that could cause like a, a food shortage. And, you know, we were certainly seeing that kind of stuff here in the States of a couple big factory farms closed down and they're like, yeah, there could actually be pretty massive shortage of uh, meat coming up and then they have nothing to do with all that meat. So they've had to just like slaughter animals purposely or purpose, mm-hmm. uh, purposelessly. Um, and it, it just strikes me of how much this system is just not capable of the level of complexity that, you know, is happening now. I think that's the, you know, one thing that maybe sparked this conversation off between you and me a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about it was, you know, as integral thinkers, we believe in the development of consciousness and culture and part of that is is every time evolution happens more complexity is introduced to some extent mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and thus there's more that can go wrong at every step you know when there's only exactly. two pieces to a puzzle yeah. there's only so many ways to put that puzzle together but when there's millions and millions um, there's stuff that can go wrong at every step and that so many of the systems we've been relying on were created before globalization really right were created before um, things were so different. You know, I, I, I noticed there was an article going around this week about how uh, there was the Hong Kong flu in 1967 and 1968, which was pretty, um, pretty dangerous, but they didn't shut anything down. And I was like, yeah, that's true. That's cool. That makes, that makes sense. And you also can't discount. It was a completely different global economy. I imagine the miles per day, an average person moved through the world was quite a bit less back then, right? In the in the idea, your little local sphere was much smaller, so things could only spread so far. Versus, you know, part of what we're seeing in now being in this global, literally global world is things can move so fast, both biologically and as we're seeing online, informationally. You know, there's no there's no gap to information now. Now any single person can put up a video. And it can become viral and go over the entire internet mm-hmm. in 24 hours. 
and there's no system or mechanism for, you know, is that information true? Is it sourced? What's the authority? How is that weighted? Which, you know, has certainly been something catching my attention in, in the information pandemic right now. For sure, for sure. And just, you know, one of the things I'm hearing in what you're saying too is the um, kind of the necessary balance of increased consciousness and ability to hold a system and all its parts, that how that has to match, you know, ideally should match the genuine exterior complexity of a world. And totally. Right. You know, like what I'm hearing you say too, and I just, I've been feeling into that a lot and you can see this at play is that the bottom line is we live in an incredibly complex system, you know, a world centric system that, you know, we're, we're interdependent with one another. And I think one of the things COVID is really highlighting is our deep interdependence with one another, not just economically, which is true. Uh, but just like health-wise, that this is pointing out we're interdependent with one another. And and when um, when the system's going smooth, I think we don't really have to think about the complexi- complexity of that when there's no pathology in the system. You know, we can just, we can ride the wave of the complexity and just, you know, um, not really think about the inner workings of it if it's not broken. You know, if you have a, you know, we say if you have a watch and it's not broken, you never have to look at the pieces within within it to understand how they work. You can just interface with the simple interface on the outside of it. But right now, the the you know the curtains are pulled, and we have to really address that what's not working within the system. And the problem, I think, is that our level of complexity in the world, the complexity of our system, um, is not always met by an interior ability to hold that complexity and interdependence. I think that's playing out a lot in, you know, some of the divisiveness in the country, you know, too. Yeah, that makes so much sense. (laughs) And I mean, it wraps into so many of the problems we're having right now because there is, you know, and, and this is part of the information pandemic we're seeing is that there is so much complexity. There is so much information um, it's it's quite a cognitive load to try to keep up, right? And, that- and and what do we do when that happens? What we do as humans, you know, there's is if we have the capacity, you know, in general, if we have the capacity to hold complex the a certain degree of complexity within a system, we will engage it. Once mm-hmm. it once it goes beyond our level of capacity to hold the pieces. We can either sit with the overwhelm and try to stretch and grow, which would be accommodation, right? You know, we would accommodate to meet the information. Or what we often do is we assimilate. Those are kind of like, you know, Piagetian terms, right? We would assimilate and basically block out the information that's too overwhelming for us so we can can feel contained within what we know. And obviously, at a time like this in particular, when the system is not working, and needs more complex interventions. If we go to assimilation and we just block that out, we're kind of fucked, <laughs> you know. Totally, and uh, right. And I, I think one of the ways I've certainly experienced that coming up in myself and, and seeing other people um, as well, I would argue, is you know, in just going along with the herd, right? Assimilating. Okay, whatever my team thinks is what is true, um, and we see that probably more politically now than ever before, right? Um, Science itself is totally interpreted upon um, 
party line in an ideology right now, which I think is a little different than some years past because it wasn't as complex. Um, like you're saying, I, I love that, how you tied that together. I also think this is part of what, you know, what's happening with, um, all the talk and fears about artificial intelligence and the ways, you know, we're creating systems that manipulate us in that there's so much information. We, you know, they create AIs now <laughs> that come up with results that no human can figure out how it got to it because it's yeah. too complex. Yeah. Um, and then we start to offload some of that and, you know, we've offloaded a lot of our, um, experience of reality to algorithms of social media networks right? Like these algorithms are actually mediating our experience of life now more than ever. Um, because there's so much information you follow, you know, even if you just have a hundred friends on Facebook, you, you can't possibly follow them all. So we let an algorithm choose that. And lo mm. and behold, that's kind of fed into this assimilation thing. I, I think so much where we get stuck in these filter bubbles. Um, and yeah, that, you know, there's a, uh, I've seen that come up a lot in terms of like the system's so complex. So I'm just going to kind of tune out of it and, and go with my team. I also think this is where there can be um, a desire for simple, simple solutions, which can't actually work in complex problems, right? Where we see some of the black and white thinking coming up, I think on both sides about how, oh yeah, we can just go back to work or we can just do this or we can just do this. And it's like, no, actually, this is an incredibly complex thing that is probably going to take years to um, figure out and unwind in some, to some extent. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I, it's, it's, um, you know, how do, and how do we engage with the overwhelm that happens when there's too much complex complexity for our individual, you know, um, cognitive abilities to fully grok and cohesively organize. How do we deal with that? So I think, you know, interestingly, one of the ways that people often deal with that is just um, surrendering to a perceived authority that mm -hmm. and, and investing our trust without really like engaging in critical thinking and reasoning and saying they're going to, I trust that, you know, daddy will take care of us, you know, in some ways. And, and I don't, I don't think that's a negative thing. I think it's just something that we do to try to simplify and cope. So that's one way we, we can do that. For me, you know, I keep thinking about um, the symptoms and the cause, the symptoms and the cause. And we, as individuals in a collective, we can address symptoms or we can address the underlying cause, or we can address both. So in a complex system, I like, I'm not an economist. I, I, you know, I have my theories and thoughts, but that's not my level of expertise and specialization. So I want to find people who I can trust, who have a, a certain degree of consciousness and reasoning skills to kind of trust their, you know, their analysis with doing my own due diligence with that. Um, yes. You know, and then so, so, but how do we, we can either trust, trust an authority or we can try to find a, a collective of people who specialized, you know, I always think of it as there's, there's spe people who specialize and people who synthesize. So how do we find people who specialize and they understand the complexity of their aspect of a system and then bring them together to synthesize those different disciplines in a way? I, I love that distinguishing uh, 
element there. I've never really heard it spoken like that before. Specializing in synthesizing um, feels so true. <laughs> feels so tr so true in a way I've never thought about before. That you know really ties into I think a lot of uh, what I love about integral theory as well. In that um, knowing the difference between the two, I think is super important in in one of those things. I and do think we're actually say that again. Oh, there's there's lots of partial truths. And yes, want to honor them, you know, and those people who specialize in those partial truths have invaluable contributions to make. But then, how do we synthesize it? So, you know, I think what it comes back to, and I kind of, you know, um, was the idea of like, there's a lot of problems in the world. There's a lot of symptoms, you know, going on, and one way we can address things is addressing the symptoms of things. And then, for me, I think my personal passion is where I feel like I. I have something to offer in terms of intervention is how do we address the underlying cause, which to me, I think is an issue of consciousness and evolution, mm -hmm. the evolution of our worldview and ability, ability to hold complex systems. How do we, I think about that a lot. How do we impact that in the world, make change so we as a collective can navigate when the watch is broken, you know? navigate the complexity that we're pretty much faced with right now. I love that. And that's, you know, you do a lot of things and it's, it's one of the things I admire about you that you, you, you viscerally do in, in educating kids, right. Of literally just how to relate in a functional way, how to have a emotional intelligence and connect with each other, which I see as a very applied version of what you just said of, you know, really aiming to address some of the causes um, cause that's, you know, something I see over and over and over again, certainly in men's work of, um, you know, how much stress and strife it causes, uh, when men don't have those skills, you know, and it's not just men, it's, it's men and women, but that when you don't have those skills, you have to turn to a lot of other things to, uh, survive in life, right. To deal with the discomfort. And that has all kinds of second order effects on families and kids and people around you and X, Y, and Z. So I, I love that idea of um, focusing less on the symptoms, which does seem to be kind of what, you know, what we can kind of do when the system's more or less on the rails, right? Oh, it's moving. So, okay, this is a little uncomfortable today. I'll just have a little more sugar right. <laughs> or more caffeine to keep things going. Okay, here we go. Um, but when there's this this bigger kind of breakdown um, and we start to look at the causes of like, you know, one of the things that frustrates me is like when everyone's like, oh my God, you know, it's so disastrous to shut down the economy because people are starving and, you know, um, uh, not making any money and it's a massive crisis and we got to let them get back to work. And to me, it's like, well, do we have to live in a culture where people can't just stop for two two months? Like what if we lived in such an abundant place with such a safety net that it was like, yeah, a major pandemic's coming. Here's our mechanism. We're pausing for two months. Everyone's going to be taken care of, or people aren't, you know, living paycheck to paycheck. Um, it it totally. kind of drives me nuts when no one's talking about the deeper thing of like, well, yeah, there's an urgency to reopen the economy because we have such a dysfunctional thing happening underneath that people can't survive a month without a new paycheck because of the amount of debt and um, just craziness that we're living in. Totally. I, I feel that so much, Jason. And it's one of the things that really just strikes me like my hurts my heart a little bit, you know, is really brought to the surface 
some of what is so problematic in our culture right now. We live in now, you know, there's different places in the world and different systems and resources, but we live in a country where we have enough resources for everybody. We have enough mm-hmm. resources that no one has to go hungry. No one has to lose their home, not have a place to live. We have enough resources that we could we could get through something like this and as a collective. But the, you know, and here's another place where I, I don't claim to be an economist. So I don't know all the complexities of that system, but I have an intuitive sense that there has got to be a, a different way that we could be uh, not so fragile as a system, like you were speaking to earlier, yeah. we could get through something like this collectively. And, and what's, what's so hard, I think another thing that's just, you know, weighs on my heart a lot right now is that historically we have had crises, even like 9-11, things like that, where it's brought people together. It's helped people to see their interdependency with one another, their collective, that they are part of a bigger system. And I remember during 9-11, people like, there was so much more eye contact. There was so much more like, like general, genuine good spirit between individuals who didn't even know each other. And it just seems, you know, while there is that, I don't want to diminish that at the moment. Do you know what I mean? There's just much more divisiveness right now and um, not as much a, a, an emphasis on our collective well-being and how do we truly pull together. So when I hear a little, you know, I hear snippets of that, you know, people really coming together and the people who are doing that, it really warms my heart. I would say for me, one of the things that's been the most heavy on my heart, more, you know, even more so than the tragic loss of life and the lives that did not need to be lost had we intervened differently. You know, all those things mm-hmm. weigh a lot for sure. But what weighs on me more is that we are not seeing this as a collective, you know, often. Yeah. That I think that's so true and something I hadn't really thought of before that, you know, I think I've shared with you before, but there's, there was some NPR, you know, all things considered or mm-hmm. something I listened to years ago, which was just this amazing little story of, um, they were interviewing people who had survived the, um, um, bombing in London in world war two, the, uh, where it was just, you know, I don't know, it was like 30 or 40 days, right? Where London was just bombed nonstop and people were stuck inside in their bunkers and stuff. Um, but oddly enough, for some of the people that survived that, they were some of the fondest memories they had mm. in their whole life because life stopped. Everybody was just spending time with each other, singing, cooking. You didn't know if you were going to die the next day. There was like a real unity in that, that, mm-hmm. um, you know, had a, a, a strong impact on people that survived that as a, oh, this is another way we can live, right? Um, that I didn't know. <laughs> that yeah. it, sometimes it takes a massive disruption to to cause, and I think to some extent, um, a lot of global crises uh, tend to kind of have that um, reaction or, or 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 impact. But this is definitely one of the first ones that I think doesn't in that. Literally, the way we're dealing with it is separating from each other. So there isn't that ability to really interact with people in your neighborhood or community in the same way. And then because there's nothing, you know, we have less to do, you know, one of the things I've been thinking about is we have this insane amount of cognitive surplus right now, right? Suddenly there's 
tons of attention people have um, that they didn't have before, right? Like time, attention to put. And so where's the one place we can put that right now? Online. What is online set up to do? Maximize ad revenue uh, and, and, and getting people to stay on these social networks. How do you do that? You post the stuff that causes the most reaction in their nervous system, right? The divisiveness, the us versus them. Or um, So we have this huge uptick of, I think, people with nothing but time to sit online and be manipulated by these algorithms into feeling the otherness of everyone around them versus you know previous crises where you have to actually interact with people in the real world, right? Even I saw this in my neighborhood yesterday. Uh, the, most people I've ever seen in my neighborhood, the, some drunk driver drove down the street and banged into two cars, and but it brought everybody outside with distancing. And it was, you know, we were talking and that was like a moment that created some um, connection in our neighborhood based out of that, like what could have been a worse tragedy had there been, a, you know, someone getting hit, but thankfully it was just some cars. Um, but it just, yeah, really strikes me like you're saying that this one is different. I do think on the net, it is creating more divisiveness and not a collective we. It was one of the things that drove me nuts in the beginning of uh, when all this took off was I was like, you know, for in integral speak, I was like, where is the good, healthy ethnocentrism? Mm. Where is the like positive American identity of like, you know what, America, we can do this. We're going to figure this out. We're going to become the best at testing and tracing. And we're going to become the world leaders in this and actually export our tests because we're America. We're awesome, right? Like there's a healthy version of that, that, you know, jingoism turns certain people off, but that like collective is so gone right now. So yeah. missing. And, you know, you see it, I've talked about Trump on this before, but I was no, um, Bush fan, but you know, contrast after 9-11, you know, he was he was talking about kind of us and them, but us was all Americans, and that included Muslims. You know, he was out there defending Muslim Americans yeah. Yeah. Um, after 9-11. Trump has very clearly been the only real Americans are the ones that support me. Much right. more red warrior, you know, kind of consciousness that um, those governors that don't support me, that aren't politically aligned to me, those aren't Americans. And those that support them are not Americans. Real Americans are the Americans that support me, which it's more divisive. It is an actual regression. Totally, totally. Narcissism and personal gain, <laughs> you know? And and I just, uh, you know, uh, just going back to one of the things you said too about the, the push to clicks, right? The algorithms. And, and I think one of the things that I has come really clearly into focus for me in all of this is how part in one of the problems I think in our system is that part of the way we're set up, you know, in our economy and the, and the way things work is that the value of more clicks, more dollar, more revenue is overshadowing the value for care of the collective well-being of the system. And part of what I'm seeing with a lot of that, um, you know, going on is that, you know, what you're saying is that we're, people are incentivized to put out content that creates more divisiveness and controversy totally. as, opposed to, as opposed to content that's going to help the collective well-being. Because so many people, I think a lot of people are hurting because of the impact on the economy and staying at home. But part of it is that you know our sense of 
connection is so like under attack because of what, you know, we're not seen as a collective identity as, you know, in healthy jingoism, let's call it, you know, or Mm -hmm. a healthy collective identity. We're not, we're creating divisiveness and the, the, you know, the incentivizing of clicks to for controversy is just making that so much worse. I think. It's absolutely accelerating that problem. And there's going to be, you know, we're part of, I think, the practicality of what you do and what you teach and how you work with people, where I see that coming in is, I feel like we've all been kind of sitting alone in our houses, turning turning the amps up, so to speak, to 11, like I said. Right. And there is going to be a moment where we have to go back out there and interact with people in real time, in the real world. Again, and that's going to take um, a huge amount of social skill set, you know, of how do I, you know, how do I see the humanity in someone who has a different worldview than me? You know, I think that's such an important skill that is not being taught anywhere right now of, hey, you, I don't agree with how you see the world, but you're a human and I'm a human and we're both just trying to get by. Like, you know, if that was the baseline for our, our political interactions, it'd be a whole different world. Um, but it's so clearly not right now where it's like, oh, you think differently than me. So you're my enemy, um, which is so in integral terms, you know, it's so first tier consciousness in that it's my way or the highway. And if you're not on my way, then you're the enemy. And one of the things, you know, I I certainly still hope that this crisis is going to start kicking into gear is me too. The only thing that can deal with the level of complexity we're having right now is quite literally for integral consciousness to con- to keep emerging and actually step into positions of power and leadership in politics and the economy and um, uh, the media to start mending some of these things and point out, you know, I, I've been thinking, <laughs> I, I have to begin to wrap here, but one of the things I've been thinking about that I think I'm going to create a piece around is just like, holy God, am I glad to just be aware of this concept of the quadrants mm-hmm. and how informative that is. Uh, you know, I even, it was one of the things I just kept hammering home online where everyone was like, well, Sweden's doing this. Why couldn't we just do this? And it's like, well, Sweden has a completely different lower left, a completely different lower right that you can't just export. Even if we did the exact same thing, they have different value. They actually value the collective, I, you know, the collective we in a way we don't. And they value a safety net in a way we don't. So even if we did the same thing, we don't have the mechanisms to support that. And that's you know something that um, this thing we call integral, I think, informs us with that. You know, it's really time. Uh, I think not in a oh, wouldn't that be nice for the evolution of consciousness, but like. It has to come now or we're not going to make it. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. And, and you know, just to just to uh, to speak positive, you know, uh, give kudos to Integral as well. I am so grateful for that framework too. And, and, um, and part of it is because one of the things the Integral framework and in Alqual offers us is a really tidy organizing system of the complexity of human experience in all four quadrants. You know, something like that, it gives me so much hope because how do we how do we organize all the data of our world? Integral framework is such a wonderful way of doing that, you know. And I would also say conversations like this, 
you know, as I've really appreciated our talking, you know, here and in the past about all these things in the going on in the world, because part of how we will grow and I think get out of it is by sharing alternate perspectives with kind of curiosity and acceptance and exploration together, you know, and to me, that's how we grow. So it's really nice being able to do this here and elsewhere. And that's something I would just encourage people like, you know, just let's talk with each other without the reactivity, understand each other's point of view. And, you know, part of it is like, I would say like, you know, let's assume connection, you know, assume positivity in situations. Don't, you know, one of the things that's so hard is that we get in place of fear. We get, we our basic survival instincts, you know, survival feels threatened. So what do we do as human beings when that happens? We go to vigilance. We go to assuming bad intent. It's a survival mechanism, but that keeps us from seeing each other, you know? So it feels really good to me to be able to have conversations like this. It gives me a sense of hope, you know, because it's in exploring different perspectives that I think bigger, you know, positive change can come for sure. I love that. And I feel like that kind of um, sums up so much of what we've been talking about in that part of what I heard as a very concrete takeaway um, that we can all practice. And, you know, something I know you value and something I, I certainly teach in some of the authentic relating, relating work I, I lead is the frame of curiosity of, you know, and, and where I really hear that is in, you know, instead of assuming bad intent, intent, if someone has a different worldview than us, can we get curious about it? Doesn't mean we have to agree with it, but can we get curious about them, about the worldview, what makes them tick, um, which then will tend to create a little more connection underneath, which changes the whole ball game. And it also strikes me, you know, that's, that's the open posture to take towards complex systems. Like I don't understand, but I'm curious, you know, I'm curious to know more. And if we can at least stay curious, um, things will continue getting you know, better. Yeah. The beauty of beginner's mind with that, you know, the flexibility yeah. and openness to new information. Awesome, brother. Well, it's been so good chatting with you today. I think we're definitely going to have to do this again. And, um, if people want to check check out some of your stuff, where's the best place for them to go? Oh, yeah. Um, you can um, check out uh, – you can always email me uh, if anybody had questions. Uh, my email is drjeff, D-R-J-E-F-F, 1234 at sbcglobal.net. And I have a you know a couple, couple websites. My adult one is just uh, jeffjessam.com dot com jeffreyjessam.com uh and or i have a you know social detective that's a, i do a lot of writing for kids socialdetective.com has a lot of that as well so fantastic highly recommend uh checking his stuff out well until next time um it's been a real pleasure my man oh it's been great jason great conversation and Uh, glad you're out there doing the good work you're doing too. Really important, especially right now. Special shout out and thanks to Screaming Witness for the amazing intro and outro song. Check them out.